Our sermon text this morning comes from Hebrews chapter 10. We'll be looking at verse 36. You can find that on page 1007 in the Pew Bibles. Now, this letter that's entitled To the Hebrews is an eloquent explanation of the work of Jesus. It helps Christians understand, uh, helps Christians recognize how all the shadows and pictures of the Old Testament have been accomplished in Jesus and his work. But Hebrews is much more than a rich theological treatise. It's intensely personal. It's more like a carefully crafted sermon meant to not only inform the head, but to put courage into the heart of people like you and me. People wrestling with real difficulties in their lives. And so let's pray together as we come to this word. Asking God that we might gain the encouragement that we need as we listen to it. Let's pray. Father, we praise you as the God who is not silent. All the things of this world to which we give our ears are speechless nothings. But you, you have made yourself known to us, speaking even from the beginning. And you have revealed yourself fully and finally to us through your Son, Jesus. Holy Spirit, help us now to hear Jesus, the eternal word. And through hearing, believe in him. Amen. So I have the privilege of introducing our new sermon series to you this morning, which essentially means preaching through the entire book of Hebrews at one go. Uh, Philip will be leading us through the details of this deeply encouraging book in the weeks or months or Let's be honest, maybe years to come. But today we're going to look at this book, this, uh, this early Christian sermon is what it really is. We're going to look at it from the 30,000 foot view. We're going to consider the book as a whole, asking this really simple question. Why do we Gentiles need this letter addressed to the Hebrews? And to answer that, I want you to look with me at a single verse from chapter 10, verse 36. For you have need of endurance, so that when you have done the will of God, you may receive what is promised. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. Now, we don't know the name of the pastor who wrote this letter. Writing years later in 250 A.D., Origen, the early church father, said, Only God knows who wrote this letter, recognized by the church to be Scripture. We may not know who wrote it, but in this short verse, we begin to understand why the pastor wrote it to people he apparently knew quite well. The pastor earnestly desired the people he loved to gain something that they desperately needed. Endurance. Like 
marathon runners, like soldiers fighting a relentless enemy, like parents putting a three-year-old to bed after he had a nap in the car. (laughs) They need strength to keep going, specifically to keep doing the will of God. You see how he connects those two things there in verse 36. You see, the pastor is writing to people who are hurting, to people who are tired, to people who are doubting. Because long before these Jewish people recognized Jesus to be the Christ, the rescuer promised to their fathers, and setting their hope in Him, they had left behind those old sacrifices for sin given through Moses, believing that Jesus had made a better sacrifice. They left behind the safe harbor of Judaism, a religion recognized and even protected under Roman law. They left it behind, trusting that in Jesus, God was advancing the story of redemption. And although it felt like they were heading out into the wilderness, like Israel out of Egypt long before, into a new wilderness, they believed God was with them, fulfilling all the promises that he had made to restore this broken world. But now, years later, they're finding it hard to believe the gospel of Jesus is true when the Roman authorities take their homes away from them. When soldiers seize fellow church members, when people they love are taken and sawn in two because they bear the name Christian, because they say that Jesus, not Caesar, is Lord. They're wondering if the message that they've heard about Jesus is actually reliable, because salvation looks a lot different than they expected it to look. And so they are people tempted to believe that the faith that they had placed in Jesus is actually misplaced faith. Because life has gotten harder, not easier, since following him. And in this we find the reason why we need the letter to the Hebrews today. Because we, here and now, we too experience dark circumstances that threaten to shake us making it hard to live as if the gospel is true, like when loving a sinner like your husband or wife is more difficult than you imagined, or when you struggle at work because you're the only one who cares about doing what is right instead of what is easy, or when you've looked for work and the positions just aren't there, when your children who have been raised in the faith are wandering far from it, When we as Christians find ourselves being set aside by the dominant culture, mocked and ridiculed. When we feel let down and disillusioned with the church. When God's promises about restoring all things seem so slow in coming true. In all of these difficult circumstances, the skeptical question can still linger in our hearts, even if we never ask it out loud. 
is this what salvation looks like? And within that, within that question, a subtle belief, a subtle form of unbelief rather stirs, wondering if maybe, maybe just maybe, our confidence in Jesus was somehow misplaced. Maybe something else is what we need. And so to people like us, this pastor writes, because he knows how people normally respond when they're hurting or when they're scared or when they're doubting, they pull back. They withdraw into what is familiar, into what is comfortable. And for the first hearers of this letter, pulling back from following Jesus would have meant going back into Judaism. That return to the old sacrificial system, which is alluded to throughout this letter, seems to have been a real possibility for them. And that actually helps us date this letter. It was most likely written before 70 AD when Jerusalem was destroyed along with the temple by the Roman army. It was, so it was likely written before the end of those temple sacrifices. And so, in the face of hard circumstances, they have a real opportunity to go back into the supposed safe harbor of a religion that was not only accepted by Rome, but accepted by their own kinsmen, their own people. Maybe they were tempted to go back into Judaism because they felt ashamed of being outsiders within their own culture, within their own families. From some clues that we see in the letter, it seems they were tempted to go back because they had lost sight of just how big a thing God had done in Jesus because they had reduced Christianity to a new list of do's and don'ts. Focusing on trifling matters like food and drink. But as one writer puts it, whatever their reasons, it's not so much the reasons that interest the author as the outcome of turning back. Christ, His sacrifice, His priestly work are so relativized that they are effectively denied. And apostasy, the total abandonment of the faith, is only a whisker away. And because we share the same pain and functional questions as them, you and I today face the same temptation to pull back from Jesus, to seek comfort in what is familiar and known. Of course, for us, that would never be the old sacrificial system because that isn't part of our story. But, but think about how that could look in our lives today. What does it look like to pull back from following Jesus? To pull back from Jesus himself? For you who are struggling in your marriages, maybe you're tempted to go back into those forms of self-protection that you learned from your parents. Whether that's withdrawing from your spouse or trying desperately to control them. Or if you feel the ache in your soul for the, all the wrongness of your life to be mended, maybe you're tempted to go back 
And so the forms of self-soothing that you've tried in the past, you know, in the deep down, you know that the sex or food or achievement at work won't really satisfy you for long, but you're willing to take that fleeting escape from the pain of your life over the possibility that maybe, just maybe, God is doing something through the pain. Something he's doing, he has a purpose for you that can only be achieved by going through that pain. Or if you, like many today, have reduced Christianity to a new list of do's and don'ts, which inevitably results in reducing Jesus into a small s savior rather than the redeemer king that the scriptures show us, maybe going back to life without Jesus seems like the path to real fulfillment. Because having yourself as Lord of your life can seem much more appealing than having Jesus be Lord. After all, he might actually tell you no about something. But the pastor knows, the, the pastor writing this letter knows that going back from Jesus into anything, whether it was the God-given sacrificial system of Moses or our own methods of dealing with the pain of this life, anything that we retreat into will not only be disobedient and dangerous for us, but it will also be woefully inadequate to address our deepest needs. The, the needs of sinful people like you and me, the, the needs of broken people, hurting people like you and me. And so the pastor writes to people he loves. He speaks to them and he speaks to us today to show us that Jesus is better than anything else that we might run after. And if we see him in all of his grace and his power, if we see him and all that he is for us, then we will gladly run after Him, enduring whatever hard circumstances we face, not with a merely patient resignation, but with a blazing hope, a live, burning hope. This letter is actually fuel for a burning hope that presses onward, steadfast and unshaken, because it isn't rooted in changing circumstances, but is rather rooted in the steadfast and unshakable person of Jesus Christ. And so listen to this pastor as he shows us Jesus, because he speaks to us now, strengthening our weak arms and legs to keep on going, going down whatever road the Lord has been pleased to put us on. Here in this word are the eyes to see what is presently veiled to this world. Here is true reality that can only be seen by peering through the nail holes in Jesus' own hands. Listen, and God grant you the courage to endure in doing the will of God. His will, which is to continue believing in the one that God has sent. Because here in this word is hope that Jesus, as Rick read to us earlier, Jesus is God's supreme 
powerful Son, who is Himself God's full and final self-revelation. Everything that God wants us to know about Himself, His glory, His power, His goodness, His justice, His mercy, everything is revealed to us in the person of Jesus. And so, if God spoke to His people in the past, through the prophets, through angels, as it was typically understood, the angels would deliver God's Word to the prophets and the prophets to God's people. And if His message was embraced by His people then, what kind of response would be appropriate if He has now spoken not through His servants, but through His Son? That's why he says, just as we read earlier in Psalm 95, the writer to the Hebrews repeats, Today, if you hear his voice, don't harden your hearts. The appropriate response is to listen. And so if we listen carefully to what God says in Jesus, we understand that that is the starting place for endurance. And if they listened. If we today listen, then what we hear, what we hear gives us the strength to carry on because the pastor then begins to pick up a theme that's going to run throughout this entire letter, showing Jesus as a faithful priest for his people. A faithful priest who entered into the experience of his people so fully that he not only took to himself a true flesh and blood, human nature like ours, but He also entered into our suffering. So that through His suffering death, He could rescue us from death. And He calls us His brothers and sisters unashamedly, identifying Himself with us, helping us in our temptations. Because He knows what it feels like to be tempted. This theme of Jesus' suffering is one that is crucial to grasp because we must learn to see our painful experiences in the light of following a suffering Savior. Because if God perfected His own Son through suffering, as the pastor says, then it need not trouble our hearts if He sends suffering into our lives too. We can learn to see even our most painful experiences as God treating us the exact same way that He treated His own Son, Jesus. But if this pastor's friends are tempted to try to escape that pain by returning to the old sacrifices given under Moses, the pastor talks about Moses in chapter 3. No one, no one in the Old Testament was more faithful, a more faithful servant of God than Moses. But Jesus is greater than Moses because he's not a servant. He's the son. And so to go back to Moses, he says, would be the height of foolishness. Because when something better, something complete, something perfect arrives, you don't go back. And that theme of Jesus being better than 
continues right on through the heart of the sermon itself. The pastor shows how all the grace of the Old Testament seen in the sacrifices that enable a holy God to live with an unholy people, all of that grace was pointing forward to the perfect grace that has arrived in Jesus. Because Jesus is the better high priest. He's better than the sons of Aaron. Those priests then had to deal with their own sins and their sacrifices had to be offered day after day after day after day. But Jesus, Jesus had no sin of His own. His work was never marred by failure and it wasn't limited by death because He lives forever. And His sacrifice wasn't of an animal which could never pay the price for human sin. His better sacrifice was of Himself. A sinless, perfect sacrifice offered once for all time. It never needs repeating. And so as an eternal priest and a perfect sacrifice, Jesus becomes the perfect mediator of a new covenant. He in Himself is the guarantee that we have access to God, to draw near to Him, to find grace in our times of need. Because His blood, Jesus' blood, is always before God as the atonement for our sins. And Jesus Himself always is before God, serving forever as our High Priest. Sympathetic. Sympathetic sympathetic with our weakness, and yet powerful to save us. And as you come to Him, not turning away, but as you come to Him, clinging to Him, worshiping Him, you come to the One who is pleased to give you a share in His unshakable kingdom that will soon be revealed. Though it is now veiled, it is coming. And He promises it to all those who eagerly wait for Him. The pastor holds all of this and more in front of us to put courage into our hearts, to assure us that confidence in Jesus is never misplaced. By showing how Jesus is the fulfillment of every shadow and picture in the Old Testament, the pastor is helping us to live in line with this new reality, with the truth that the whole history of the world has been leading up to Jesus. And in Him, as one writer puts it, the establishment of the true worship of the true God. What has arrived in Jesus is what every person Every believer throughout the story of redemption was looking for. And you live in the days when you get to see it. And so to turn back now, to turn away from Jesus and look for someone or something else for comfort, it's hopeless. And the pastor issues the warning that to stubbornly persist in unbelief is to rob one's self of the rest for which your heart has always longed. But to press on, 
to endure with eyes fixed on Jesus. That continuing faith is the very will of God that is spoken of in verse 36 that we read. And to live in that kind of faith transforms everything. With our eyes fixed on Jesus, we can learn how to fight against temptation. With our eyes fixed on Jesus, we can learn from Him how to endure through hostility and dark days. With eyes fixed on Jesus, we can learn how to love and how to encourage each other through our weakness, how to give generously toward others, how to walk as pilgrims here, suffering reproach joyfully. Because even if, for a time, we have to wander through this wilderness, we have a lasting city whose designer and builder is our faithful God. I saw a glimpse of that kind of enduring faith in a letter I read last month. It was written by an elder of the Early Rain Covenant Church, a congregation of Christians in China who refused to register with the communist government. One of the elders, Lee, was the last to be arrested when the police raided and took away the pastors and elders of the church. Listen to what he wrote to his flock as he was hiding from the police in, in the hours just before he was found. Listen. Listen to the blazing hope that he has. Beloved brothers, sisters, fellow workers, thank the Lord. Just as the year 2018 is about to end, God has given us a reward in the form of this large-scale persecution that arrived on December 9. Since yesterday evening until noon today, over 100 pastors, elders, staff, brothers and sisters have been taken away. As of now, we still do not know where they are, and even if we did know, it would be difficult for us to help them. But, thankfully, we know for certain that the Lord's loving face is shining upon them. They are within the gracious, sovereign providence of the Lord. He will be with them in the midst of their chains and trials. He goes on to encourage the church to keep meeting, not only in small groups that are easily hidden, but as a whole church, bold in the face of persecution. He says, meeting in small groups is our last resort. If there is even a very small possibility of worshiping together as a whole church, we will not retreat to small groups. But if we must meet in small groups and encounter opposition while doing so, we are willing to pay an even greater price to bear witness to the great work of the gospel in our lives. We are willing to have 200, 300, or 500 people arrested and imprisoned. May the whole world know that we are joyfully willing to receive this persecution for the sake of our faith. Beloved brothers and sisters, I am writing this letter in hiding. May you all be filled with joy in the gospel of Christ. May you welcome, filled with hope, the even heavier cross and more difficult lives that lie ahead of you. Christ is Lord. Grace is King. Bear the cross. 
Keep the faith. This is the vision of early reign covenant church received from the Lord. May we all obtain it, cherish it, put it into practice, and live it out. As recently as last Sunday, more members were arrested. And to this day, their pastor remains in jail with charges of inciting to subvert state power. But do you know what I read this morning? That the church is still gathering to worship. They're still gathering to worship, even on this Lord's Day. What else could sustain What else could sustain them except a blazing hope that is set on Jesus and all that He is for us? What else can sustain you as you head out into this new year? What else can sustain you, support you, comfort you, persevere you through your fight with sin and dark days except a fresh vision of Jesus standing at God's right hand, crucified and risen And praying for you. That is why you need this letter to the Hebrews. And that is also why you need this meal that's in front of you. So that you can enter into this new year with confidence. Confidence not that this year is going to be better than last. It might not be. As another pastor said, here is the world. Beautiful and terrible things will happen. But then he added, don't be afraid. Don't be afraid. Because although we do not know what hardships or pain await us this year, we know the one who has promised that he will never leave us or forsake us. And already he has given his body and his blood to redeem you. And He will not fail to keep you until you eat this meal with Him in His kingdom. And so I want you to come to this meal, you who set your hope on Jesus. This isn't Trinity's table or our denomination's table. This is the Lord's table. This meal is for all who have been baptized into Jesus and made public their profession of faith in Him by joining themselves to His church. If your life, if the desire of your life is to be that of turning away from all other comforts and clinging to Christ alone, this meal is for you. If that isn't you right now, then the Lord himself says that it would be better to simply let these elements pass you by. Because this is no ordinary meal. But as we come to this meal, may you be strengthened and nourished by the Savior who loves you and gave himself up for you. Let's pray together. Gracious Father, we do come to you, and we praise you that in the Lord Jesus Christ you have revealed yourself to us, showing yourself as the God of all grace and mercy, who in providing Christ as our priest and as the perfect sacrifice, you have fully done away with our sins and fully reconciled us to yourself. Father, strengthen us. Give us the grace to endure through these difficult days that we find ourselves in. 
And so, Lord, we humbly ask that you would, by your Spirit, set apart these elements for our benefit, so that as we eat and drink the body and blood of our Savior by faith, our souls would be strengthened to stand firm, to endure in faith until Christ comes. This we ask to the praise of your glorious grace, O God, in the name of Jesus our Lord. Amen.